This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the short code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to The Short Coat, a podcast of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. On today's show, we're checking out how students learn what to do during their clinical rotations, what their real jobs are, how it's taught, how they learn it. With me, to help out are some folks eminently qualified to tell us. Say hi to M3 Emma Barr. Hello. Uh, greetings, M3 Nickland. Hello. What's up, M4 Holly Conger? Hey there. And air kisses on both cheeks, M4 Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how's it going? That's going pretty good. Hey, who's vaccinated against COVID? Partially. One, one, uh, one dose. One, one shot so far. Nice. I'm excited to see that because it means in a couple months I'll be able to welcome you back into the studio. Speaking of which, friendly reminder, don't post your vaccination card on social media. It probably has your birth date on it, um, which can be used for identity theft. That's according to the AARP, who I'm proud to say that I'm now getting mailings from. Congratulations. (laughs) And who are warning that such images have also been used by vaccination card counterfeiters Mm -hmm. in England. Because the human race... Basically can't, you know, they're just happy to mess it all up. What would you do with a counterfeit COVID vaccine card? It's a good question. I think, I think I you're going to start requiring proof of vaccination to do things in the future, like mm-hmm. travel, like go to different countries, especially, I think. So that could be one. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's just what we like to do. We like to mess things up. You know, we take take a nice, completely unorderly system and make it even more completely unorderly. That's that's excellent. Hey, before we get started, as we usually do on Fridays, we're live streaming this recording session on our Facebook group, the Short Coat Podcast Student Lounge. And we hope that you'll join us there for discussion and to ask your questions and make your comments and generally make it a good time. Congratulations, Nick, for finishing up your step one. Yeah. Emma too. Emma too. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Woo. That's fantastic. Now on to step two. Yeah. Feels like it never ends. But hey, this one's over. Yeah. It never does, because then secretly, after step two, there's step three. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, board, board exams. Other board exams. License. Step one's the worst, Licensing. though, so you got that out of the way. Really? I thought that step two CK secretly sucked just as much as step one. Nah, step one was way worse for me. <laughs> really? Oh. Yeah. See, I think everybody warned me that step one was going to suck and it was going to be awful, but you get through it. And then, like, nobody said that step two also sucks, you know, that it's still a step exam. And so then I was just, like, not prepared for it being also awful. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I feel like for me, I haven't started my, like, I just started step two studying today. Or I took a practice exam the other day. But I feel like the mountain that I have to climb is a lot smaller for step two than step one. So at True. least we're prepared a little bit through shelf exams. You're already taking practice exams? Well, I'm taking it in like four weeks, so. Oh, oh so you're like, yeah. you're like back to back. I gotcha. Yeah. That's okay. bold to take it before you get your step one test back. Well, I'm going to get it back like a week before my step two. 
Oh wow! What yeah. is it? I mean, how does that help? I don't. I don't know. It no, I mean, how does not you? I mean, how, how does it help to get your step one score? I mean, Holly's comment implies that there's a benefit to. Oh, there's lots of strategy about when to take step two. Yeah, I figure. Leave it to <laughs> but, you. Leave it to you, crazy people that have a strategy. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you crush step one and do super great on it, there's like minimal benefit to have step two on your app because you're risking doing worse and like that would look bad and if you drop it looks worse but if you don't do very well on step one and you know that you need to crush step two sometimes that help that changes how you prepare for it and there's some there's some specialties that really don't care about step two so again like not as much benefit to have it on there so it's unique to everybody and also like lots of people balance like burnout from step one stacked on step two versus waiting too long and forgetting everything and losing some of that knowledge you know like it's all a fun game (laughs) i also weighed the benefit of being able to stay at my parents house in washington state for another month while you guys suffered the blizzard in iowa yeah thank you for that <laughs> i'm sorry it looks awful you it know, is it, awful it was bad during but it's not bad now i did it's get my the- car stuck on the way home and I had to like hoof it home to get my wife so we could go out there with shovels yesterday but oh my god oh no <laughs> But. I'm one of those weird people that like snow, so I'm very pleased. <laughs> oh, I love snow, but it is pretty dicey, like, driving out there because it's it's so cold that the snow won't melt with the, like, salt that they're putting on the road. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Also, Iowa is, like, not good at snow control. I'm from Colorado, and they're very good at it there, and they do it very differently here, and so it always confuses yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so come to Iowa listeners <laughs> i was still great even if they could you know take some notes on how to get ahead of the snow yeah okay if i as a californian egyptian can survive iowa winters anyone can yeah that's a fan- <laughs> that's a fantastic point yes i remember as m1s everybody taking you to go buy your first winter coat choice <laughs> yep yep <laughs> it was definitely a community event <laughs> all the californians doing their first snow angel and like running around in the snow the first time it snowed m1 year it was cute yeah and then afterwards i was like wait it still happens like you don't just go to the snow and then leave it just stays with you yeah yeah you can't get away from it it's not a yeah (laughs) you have to go to a whole nother state (laughs) so our topic today medical students have a role in patient care and i'm not really clear on what it is to be honest with you because in some ways it's part job and in some ways it's part learning it's part school and so you know there are things that you do for both of those things you know like for the study part you know of course you do shelf exams and you ask for feedback and you're there to review literature on your patients conditions that sort of thing but you have actual things that end up being sort of like jobs you could argue that some of those tasks are like labor that you pay us to do which is an interesting economic turn (laughs) And others are sort of in between, maybe. And then there are some things that you do beyond your job that, you know, that are just sort of good for you to do or nice for you to do, like visiting with your patient after work or something like that. I want to talk about that today because, again, I'm not exactly clear, after even after all these years of working here, what your job is and how you learn it. So what would you say, beyond getting an education, like forget that, what would you say the medical student's role is in clerkships? I would say that it really depends on what rotation you are currently on, because I think it greatly varies depending on if you're on an outpatient rotation, kind of working in the clinics and seeing patients that come in and out, versus if you're in the inpatient setting and the patients are actually spending the night in the hospital, versus if you're on a surgical rotation and you're actually going to the operating room. So all of those different scenarios makes your job very different as a medical student also kind of depends on like what team you're working with so ideally kind of in let's say like an outpatient setting you would go in as a medical student 
interview the patient first, do your exam first, go out, and then kind of report back to whoever you're supervising, attending, or resident is and say, like, here's the patient, here's what they're here for, here's what I think they need potentially, and kind of getting their views. And then from there, you actually kind of feel like you can take ownership of your patient and then be able to go back together and explain what's going on to the patient. So that's kind of like best case scenario where you're really able to take ownership. You write up the note, they co-sign your note. So you're basically acting as like almost like a full-blown doctor, but obviously you still have a great deal of supervision. On the other side of the spectrum, if it's not necessarily the greatest preceptor, you might kind of revert back to your pre-med days and shadow a little bit more. But ideally that doesn't happen as much as you progress through your medical education. Yeah, and there are some clerkships that that just seems to be sort of the shadowing part of it just seems to be sort of baked in. I'm thinking, I don't know what ophthalmology sometimes is, is you know, from from what I've read is sort of sometimes heavy on shadowing for some reason because I don't know they don't want you to poke around in people's eyes. I don't know. Does that the make more sense? Specialized something gets the harder it is for you to just like step in as a student and be able to execute the task. You know, so something that's super specialized like an optho exam with pointy objects near people's eyes is a little hard. <laughs> Yeah. And, I think you know I think also like some of those clerkships are two weeks long so yeah I, I mean you're not going to get good at anything in in two weeks so it, it, you know some of those longer clerkships you get some time to kind of like hone your skills and figure things out and actually take a, a real role but the most common ophthalmology comment I've read is made an attempt to use the slit lamp <laughs> Which I don't know what she that tried. means. That was like a resident or attending evaluating a student saying they attempted. Yeah, to yeah, it. yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> or even, you know, like the, the the highest compliment would be learned how to use the slit lamp, which I, I think is great. Yeah, I think that also with the shorter clerkships, it's kind of hard because you have to build kind of like a trust and rapport with your team because mm-hmm. they can get, you know, a brand new M2 who's never been on a clerkship before or they can get an M4 who's about to be a resident. So they don't quite know where your skills and stuff fall. And so they don't want to give you more responsibility than you should be trusted with and so sometimes it takes them getting to know you to understand what is the appropriate level for you (laughs) and on a really short clerkship that's hard to like establish and then work with and you may be working with several different attendings or residents and so in a two like in 10 days you may have like a different person every day i feel like my philosophy for what the role of the med students was on the team was to like fill in gaps it was to be helpful wherever you could and that like joyce said changes based on what the team is on because for like surgery a lot of times the most helpful thing you can do is retract which is of course the classic med student role but they need somebody to do it it's a very vital role (laughs) and it's the gap that the med student can fill or in like outpatient clinic you basically function as a resident because you see patients and staff them just like a resident does and so it depends but you basically fill in wherever you can and (laughs) the goal is I feel like most people were like, your job is to learn. So that's a huge part of it, is to just be involved and see what you can and learn, help out, and don't be in the way. (laughs) I've heard some very bitter med students, though, talk about how, you know, they were asked to do things. I don't know, like very bitter about the things that they were asked to do as part of the, when, in fact, their job was to learn. And my thought about that was, well, I mean, by doing those things, you learn what yeah. is necessary you learn what it was like these things don't just happen you know somebody does them and so by you doing them you know even if it doesn't seem like all that important to you it, yeah it's I think still, you're still learning yeah oh i think of like in the or you know there are a lot of like little tasks just like getting a blanket and putting it on the patient or like helping to transfer the patient it's all things that need to be done that I think a lot of med students aren't as willing to just kind of jump in and do. 
But when you do jump in and do those, I, I think it, it makes a, a good impression. It helps you with your evaluations. And yeah. then, I mean, when when you're a resident, you're going to be doing some of that stuff anyway. Yeah. And, and it gets noticed. For that, yeah, you're going to be looking for that med student to, to jump in and hoping that that med student jumps in. And if they don't, then you as the resident are taking care of it. So, And it gets noticed by your evaluators, for better or for worse. When you do those jobs that nobody else has time to do, that comes out in your evaluations. You know, They will highlight that as something positive that you contributed to, even if you couldn't contribute to anything else. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes it pays off, and and then you have an attending or a resident that lets you do more. Maybe even though you're running a little late, maybe they actually let you help close, or maybe an attending might let you do the first incision in the OR. Like they're supervising you, but they're letting you do some really cool things that some interns would love the opportunity to get yeah like I, I think it's like they need to know you do what you know how to do and so like at the beginning that starts with the simple stuff that's like get a blanket pull the stuff out of the cabinet that you know you need transfer the patient do all of that and when you prove that you can do that then they start working on advancing you which is how you get like open the doors to doing the more advanced stuff <laughs> and I think like specifically thinking about the OR I think a lot of times people complain about like just standing there for like hours on end without being able to see anything and that's happened to me too but I think there's ways like to still make that time useful like I would ask the scrub tech or the nurse like hey is there any extra like suture material that I can practice my knot tying like obviously I wouldn't do that if I could see the field but if you if it's obvious you can't see the field then like make other use of the time and like the attendings would notice and they would come give me tips and and so like I think there's still ways to make it educational even though it may seem like you're just standing there for a long period of time. <laughs> One of my biggest pet peeves is probably the med student that's like, oh my god, I'm above this scut work, like I don't need to do any of this, that sort of thing, like that really rubs me the wrong way. Like I, something that's like the most inspiring th thing to me is I heard like a head trauma surgeon, he's always like the first to help take off the patient's shoes, things like that, where it's just like these things are kind of embedded in our future professions and so being able to kind of have that service mentality where it's like the patient needs a cup of water I don't need to just say like go ask your nurse like I can just walk over grab it for them and that could be like a world of difference to them so any little thing that you can help can really go a long way another like specific patient example there was it was like my first rotation and there was a patient that was kind of uneasy about having surgery and things like that and I had some extra time to go chat with her and I remember after like a couple of days she like kind of broke down and refused to talk to anyone on the team besides me because I had brought her like a blanket and a cup of water and that that's kind of what made the difference for her so those little things actually do add up and can eventually help out the team and when they have kind of more free time because of the fact that you've took on some of these tasks they'll be kind of more inclined to teach you because they do have that time yeah I you know another example I had a patient while I was on internal medicine so that was my second clerkship and he had a rare cancer and so I provided some like informational material and kind of talked to him and his family a little bit about it. That was kind of like my little job. I got to research the cancer and and then kind of provide some of those materials to him. And then when I was on surgery, he was actually back in for for something different. And he ended up on our team and he instantly remembered me and wanted to talk to me. And he wasn't even a patient I was following on surgery, but instantly he felt that you could just see him perk up and you could tell he was, he felt better that he recognized someone. And, you know, it's just those, those little things. I'm basically doing this little research project on the side and, 
And it ends up coming back to, I now had this relationship with this patient who was just really happy to, to see a familiar face. So uh, there's a lot of cool things that med students can do uh, that adds to the team. I don't think it stops with med students either. I've seen, you know, attending physicians grab a blanket and a cup of water before too. And I think those are the ones that are like, the patients really think that they care because a, a attending who's like, ask your nurse for a blanket, but you know, like that doesn't make the patient want to talk to them. <laughs> That's I wanted cool. to talk about a specific job that students, or a specific activity that students take part in, which is rounds. I don't understand quite what rounds are. I mean, I know you stand <laughs> around talking about a patient, like, like you know, from, from television shows, you all stand around in the hallway and talk about the patient, but how do you learn, and there are different kinds of rounds, there are table rounds, I've heard of, and then there's bedside rounds and what do you do what is the job there and how do you learn how to do that does anybody teach you do they sit you down as a class for every clerkship and tell you or do you just learn by watching what's this what's the sitch it depends on the rotation like surgery rounds are very quick and like you just get really the most pertinent information whereas internal medicine rounds last like hours and I got very tired on them, <laughs> but it's very detailed. So like as a medical student, you'll be like assigned a few patients less at the beginning of your clerkships and you get more as time goes on and you go what's called pre-round on them. I mean, you go talk to them and see what happened overnight, see if they have any issues, like new issues come up. You look at their charts, see like what kind of medications they had overnight or what kind of imaging and labs came back. And then basically on rounds, you just like share all that information in like a specific organization that we are taught. I think it's during transitions week. There's a mini session on how to do it, but really you just kind of learn by doing it and getting feedback. Is that SOAP? Yeah. So it stands for subjective, which is like what you talk to them about, how they're feeling. Objective, which is like their lab values, their vital signs, any imaging, things like that. Assessment is like this one-liner where you talk about like their age and what they're there for. And then plan is like what you want to do for the day. And as a medical student, you're not expected to be able to come up with a, a perfect plan, but they like to see that you're giving it thought. They love to see that. That is yeah. that is among the comments that are always that are often given is that, you know, yeah. at least tried to come up with a plan. Yeah. Most of the Even time, did, totally it, did a pretty good job coming up with a right. Mason attempted yeah. a plan that's really good, yeah. at least for beginning med students or beginning clinical med students. And then, you know, they hope that you can at least have a, a coherent plan, more or mm -hmm. less, when you get into your advanced rotation. Right. Lots of med students just like refuse to create a plan, which I always thought was odd. They're like terrified of being wrong. And I think that gets better as you progress through core year. But mm -hmm. I definitely have seen a lot of people that just like will not attempt it. I was kind of like, you're a med student. They expect you to be wrong. You know, like, go ahead yeah. and do it now while it's safe. <laughs> Yeah. And I kind of like the attendings that push you on it. They're mm -hmm. like, uh, even, even if you really don't know, like there have been a few times where I just really don't know like <laughs> what the next step here is. And, and then they're kind of pushing you on it. And it forces you to, to think about like, okay, what is going on here and what might help? And mm -hmm. and maybe like, you know, a few things that'll help, but they just need to help you fill it in a little more. And I, I think it's good to take that risk and, mm -hmm. and they like to see it. Yeah. The I think something that's also important about presenting patients, it's a lot of the times it's not what you're saying. It's kind of how you're saying it. If you sound pretty confident and you go through your presentation and it's structured and organized and you give it your best shot, 
that's much better off than kind of just like second guessing and questioning every single thing that you're doing because a lot of the time they don't even remember kind of the details of what your plan is because they already have their kind of internal plan it's just a matter of like okay this this student actually like looked it up they at least tried and they sounded like they kind of knew what they were doing yeah i guess like for people who don't know the point of rounds is usually to review all of your patients on your team and get everybody on the same page about where they are and what's happened and then discuss and decide on a plan moving forward to accomplish whatever goal it is that you're trying to accomplish so yeah so you're getting you're getting feedback on your i mean and this is true for the real doctors too you're getting feedback on what you observed what you asked what you thought about that maybe somebody says well did you think about this right i mean is that part of it yeah i think especially like on internal medicine rounds the plan part and sorting out the details is a large discussion you know like everybody exploring different things and figuring out what's best surgery less so because they have to move really fast because they got to be ready to go to the or at like 7 30 yeah because they're like okay we're gonna cut this bit off today that's all <laughs> yeah, usually they're, yeah, I mean, their plan is usually more straightforward, but not always. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so basically learning how to communicate in the like vernacular and in the structure of medicine is very important because that's just how we understand what's going on. So being able to talk to each other in a way that everybody understands is like half the point of med students attempting to do rounds and they get feedback on how well they did that. It's also a time to practice communicating to patients too. Probably not at the beginning of like your clinicals, but near the more towards the middle and end that you may may be presenting in front of patients and then um, present the plan like to the patient as well and ask them like you know this is what we're going to do like does that sound good to you and so then your attendings and residents can see you interacting with patients as well and you can learn how to do that from their examples too. Yeah I wanted to talk more about that so when you do bedside rounds that's what you're talking about the goal is to you're basically as you said telling the patient what's going on as well as the team right and giving them an opportunity to fill in maybe some of the details from their situation that you didn't get previous mm -hmm. to that and also it's a chance to practice how to speak to patients in a way that they will understand am i right about all of that i feel like rounds are usually aimed for the team so they might be like more like jargon heavy than just talking only to the patient but there's definitely value in doing that in front of the patient so they, you know, understand what's going on. Yeah, yeah I, I think like pediatrics here does it in a really interesting way. So you're standing outside of the door of the patient's room and they usually ask the family to come out and you give rounds and, and you do it in all the jargon most of the time. But then at the end, either the senior resident or the uh, attending will recap everything of what the plan is in a way that's really easy for the parents of the patient to understand. And so like, it still kind of goes through the steps and they, they get to hear the medical jargon and then they get to hear what the like layman's terms are. And I, I think that that kind of helps, especially for like families who are really used to the medical system or, or maybe getting to the point where they're going to be uh, spending a lot of time interacting with, with the medical system because they have a sick kid. Suzanne on the uh, live stream asked about away rotations, which aren't as common right now as they used to be. They're coming back. They're coming back. So her question is, is it similar tasks or will you be able to do more to show how good you are and, and can match there? I think none of us probably have much experience with that <laughs> because Holly and Joyce probably didn't have an opportunity and Nick and I are M3s but I would imagine that they treat you like one of their medical students as like an M4 so they would give you 
or like a, a sub internship type thing so they give you as much responsibility as like your level i don't know Did i you? spent a lot of time talking to students that were the year above me about away rotations to like pick where i was going to go and also get advice on how to do well and i think it's important to point out that an away rotation is also called an audition rotation i was going to say it yeah. is i was like it is by far more than a home student rotation you know i think you are it's basically a month-long interview, so the expectations are very high. They're stressful things. I don't think students really like doing away rotations. It's definitely for the programs, and they're expensive. So, But I think your job is to just kind of be on the whole time, to be super involved, super helpful, stay late, get there early, like do everything you do really well. It's a little bit higher pressure because, you know, this is your chance to impress a program you might want to go to residency at. But yes, the med student tasks are still similar. I don't think that any of that is really different. It's just how well do you do them? How well do you interact with people? You know, like all of that is being observed. <laughs> I think also another point to note is that you've already usually done your core rotations and you've also already done that rotation in that specific field. So this is kind of like your second try at it or third try at it. So you do already have that experience and you know the basics ideally. But yeah, I definitely agree with Holly. You have to be kind of on the whole time and make sure, I mean, you would need to in your home rotations as well. But if that's a place that you're particularly looking at and really want to impress the people, you really got to go all out. I mean, even if you don't really want to go there, because sometimes you figure out that you don't fit there as well, but you want a letter and you want a strong letter from an away rotation. So you got to impress that too. And like Joyce said, you know, this is usually your second or third rotation in that field. So they expect your knowledge and skill to be above someone who's only doing their first rotation. There's also the sub-internship or sub-I, which is sort of like that, I think. I mean, it's an advanced rotation, and you're expected to play a much larger role than in other clerkships. Tell us a little bit about that. What do you do your sub-I? You, you would do your sub-I, I think, in the field that you are going to go into probably. Joyce and I are a little different because we're both emergency medicine people and there is no emergency medicine sub-I. Oh, okay. So there's an advanced rotation where we do that, but we both also had to do a sub-I. I'm a little different. I'm guessing Joyce did not do what I did, which is do an orthopedic trauma surgery <laughs> sub-I. Nope. <laughs> Ain't about that yeah, life, Holly. Like, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing nobody signed up to do except me. <laughs> but I thought it was really great. I learned a lot. I think sub-I's are are really supposed to be that push, that b bridge between med student role and starting to become a resident. It's similar to an away rotation where expectations are higher. You really got to be on, like, you have more responsibility. They have higher expectations than just, like, an, a normal rotating student. And you start to be able to do things like pend orders and be more involved in patient care. Sorry, pend orders? What? <laughs> so med students do not have the magic keys to order stuff yet because oh. we don't have that MD behind our name. Uh, but we can like write the orders and basically send it to our resident to like sign and actually make real. Got it. I think also with like the terminology, I know our school has like specific sub eyes with quotes, but I think that some other like medical schools consider anything like during your fourth year a sub eye. So oh. for our school, it's considered like a sub eye if it's like inpatient and like meets certain requirements. But I know other schools is like a little bit more of a general term oh okay i didn't i didn't realize that some schools i do have more of a flexible but there's like i don't think emergency medicine is normally ever considered a sub i because you don't have the inpatient long-term care part so mm -hmm. that's pretty normal but joyce i'm assuming you did probably internal medicine if i had to guess sub i <laughs> actually so i was between em and surgery when i was kind of going into ah. like the third year post-step and so I was signed up for pediatric surgery I was super excited and then COVID hit and then I had to like switch my whole schedule around and ended up doing an online internal medicine sub-I um, oh. which was very different <laughs> but 
I took some other advanced rotations to kind of get still get like uh, experience, but yeah, online rotations were uh, very different. <laughs> I bet, especially because during my sub I, that was when I started to really pay attention and learn like how to write orders and like. I started really holding the pager for the team is usually the intern's job, which became my job on my sub-I. And so learning how to do all of that is really something you do in your sub-I. And it feels more like you're a resident than a med student on your sub-I normally. (laughs) All of these things that we've talked about, you're kind of learning how to do them as you do them. Do they sit you down in a class and be like, okay, now today you're going to learn how to pend orders. You know, or you're going to learn how to do bedside rounds, or you're going to learn how to do, you know, hold the pager, as you said. Like, like I think they, my my gut is says that they just kind of say, okay, here you go. (laughs) Yep. My very first day of surgery was like my very first day ever on rotations, and my fellow med student and I, we showed up with back packs to rounds because we were like we have no idea what's happening, and like the fellow looked at us and he's like, do you guys have your backpacks on? And we're like yeah, like, we don't, we don't know what's happening. And so he's like, okay, like, put it in the workroom. Like, here's what we're going to do. Like, he knew very early on that we were, like, fresh M2s, like, don't know absolutely nothing. And so if you kind of, like, preface it with that, people usually have bottom-rung expectations, and they'll kind of make more of an effort to, like, get you on board. Later on, it's kind of, like, expected that you would have learned from previous rotations, but definitely the first one, if you, like, boldly state, like, this is my first time in the hospital. Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, I, I love that as a, as a, as a tip, like, at least in the beginning look like a noob and they, yeah. <laughs> and they will definitely and they will take advantage you. of the m2 excuse being like yeah. i'm just an m2 i've never done it before and they're nice to you versus like if you're like i'm an m4 maybe you couldn't get away with that yeah i think it also depends on what rotation you start on because uh, you know my first one was pediatrics and so like they're kind of known for being like kind of holding your hand anyway e- even if you're not fresh <laughs> you know in the hospital for the first time uh, so that was really nice for me and that that was kind of you know helpful in learning a lot of things and usually the residents will kind of like make sure that you understand what's going on and all of that but then you know conversely like joy said with surgery it, it is kind of just yeah you know you need to go to the or <laughs> like maybe they'll tell you what number or maybe you have to figure it out yourself you like uh, knock but, on the door like can i can I come in? Yeah. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, it, it depends. And I think as a med student, I mean, you got here by being smart and, you know, being able to kind of like interact with people in, in different situations. And you kind of have to take that on and, and just jump in and, and try to figure out as much as you can. And, you know, it must be kind of a, an interesting experience for med students because I think med students always like to be right about stuff and you know because that's what they're that's what they're supposed to be you know learning how to be right is correct <laughs> but then you get thrown into the situation where you know you just basically have to be flexible and and make mistakes and and have that be okay I think I underestimated like the amount that you would learn just by observing before clerkship, you know, because like you really do just get thrown in and you don't know how to do anything. Like they, in theory, kind of tell you how to do a presentation, but not really, which is why usually you start by just like listening to other people's presentations and like hearing what they include and what they don't and how they say things and listening to somebody call a consult and how they structure that call and the information they provide. And you like, you start to mimic the behavior that you view as good. And so that's an important piece. (laughs) It occurs to me actually that we didn't talk about transitions week which is kind of the introduction to what you're supposed to do. So we have a whole 
a whole week where they get you together to sort of give you some idea of what your life is going to be like and how to function. But you know, they can't can't go over everything. What do they? What do they? What do they talk about during transitions week? <laughs> You don't remember. Uh, you have no. You you don't remember, well, do you? I think it's uncomfortable <laughs> laughing because I think they tried to talk about everything that we've talked about. I just think that it's something that I can. You can listen to people talk about all the time, but you just like have no idea. Yeah, it's it's kind of like it. yeah, it's kind of like step one in the familiarization of your role, you know. But you're not going to really know anything after that, except that oh, like okay, they yeah, they mentioned this in transitions week, so. You know, I guess I know a little bit about what they're about. I remember sessions about like student wellness and like there's a panel. I honestly don't remember a lot of it, but I think it was helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) There was a session on how to do a soap presentation, how to put on like PP or like, what is it called? When you go into the OR and you put on your gown and stuff, I remember Joyce was the leader for mine and I had to do it (laughs) in front of everybody. You Um, did great. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I don't remember what else. I think it was helpful though. It was like something about Epic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then I remember like not remembering a single word of it the first day (laughs) and being like, uh. Yeah. Yeah. Being totally lost at Epic when you finally get there and you're supposed to use it to like, and, and none of the information they gave us about how to use Epic was like actually anything that any of the residents use so yeah yeah i think i remember a guest on the show once saying that with the emr you know like you only use a tiny bit of the the emr according to your specialty generally speaking and so teaching you like okay this is this is how to use the emr i mean it's i guess it's important but in the end you're gonna end up using what you know how to use because of your specialty so well and you know we're all of like a generation where we've been on you know computers and technology all of our lives and we just kind of like work on it and figure it out yeah yeah i I have never learned like i I am also of that of that ilk because i have never like sat down and taken a class on like i don't know microsoft word you know like you just learn or photoshop or whatever you just learn or editing a podcast you know you just learn how to do it slowly and by pushing yeah. buttons and clicking things and going okay that makes sense okay yeah also you just like ask your resident like how do i accomplish this yeah. task that's right. specific to this rotation and team you know and then right. they'll yep. show you and then you move on yeah i feel like every rotation there's that like first day okay like so what do i need to look up like what you know dashboard thing do i need for this rotation and like what templates do you have <laughs> for notes templates yeah, I, are great yeah <laughs> A helpful piece of advice for people starting clerkship is on your first day, either with a new team or on a new rotation, go find you know your supervising resident and ask for expectations. Ask what they expect of you and how you can be helpful and the roles they want you to play so that you don't wander around feeling lost and useless for several days before you figure out what it is that they want you to do. And when you go ask for expectations, keep in mind some things that you specifically want to learn or get out of that rotation because they like to know what you want to learn too. And I've been caught like a deer in the headlights, been like, uh, I just want to get done with it. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes I was like, aren't I supposed to learn everything to do with psychiatry? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Did any of your clinical experiences as a pre-med help you out during clinical years suzanne wants to know in the chat i was an er medical scribe before medical school so that helped tremendously as you might imagine because i knew a lot of the vocab which helped me out all of med school and i knew how to write a note and granted an er note is a little different than other 
notes, but I think having that background was super helpful. Yeah, I, I wish also... I would have done scribing. That would have been so ridiculously helpful. Yeah, I did some shadowing a little bit, and then I also kind of volunteered. And so the first part of my volunteering was like working in a surgery waiting room, so just like giving updates to family. So that wasn't like super duper like on the nose medical. And then the second one was working with like new moms and giving them sandwiches. So I think that that piece of it just kind of like instilled the like help in any way you can sort of mentality, like run to different rooms, check in on people, that sort of thing. But otherwise, like medically, not really. Sandwiches. I I heard the word sandwiches. (laughs) I realized I'm hungry. Okay. Sorry, keep going. (laughs) I was also a scribe, which was very helpful. But another thing that I did was work as a CNA and like an assisted living. And I think that helped me get a lot of practical skills that help my patients. Like I can put on Ted hose on very edematous legs pretty well. (laughs) And also checking blood pressures. I feel pretty confident in my ability to check a blood pressure. And that's actually something that attendings can be surprisingly impressed by. Like if you have a patient on an outpatient visit and they come in with a high blood pressure and you go recheck it, like when you talk to them and come back and you're like, oh, their blood pressure went down or something. For some reason, my attendings were super impressed that I went ahead and rechecked their blood pressure. It's not like rocket science, but so learning how to like check a blood pressure is really helpful too. Yeah, I guess for me, I did some volunteering in an emergency department. I worked at both the front desk and then also just kind of going around to rooms uh, and checking on patients to see if they needed anything. I, I wouldn't say it helped any in any way medically, but it got me used to talking to patients. And sometimes you go into the room and they were kind of having a real difficult time. So you had to go get medical staff or whatever. And it, it just exposed me to some of the things that happen in an emergency department. I think being comfortable in the clinical setting, you know, from either shadowing or CNA or volunteering, you know, that helps a lot because I think some med students are pretty awkward about talking to a patient or even like it might sound weird, but like touching a patient, you know, like helping them take off their pants if they need help or put on Ted hose or whatever it is. You know, some people are very uncomfortable with that at the start and, you know, it's kind of part of the job. Knowing the answer is part of being a medical student in clinic. And one of the things that people love to talk about is pimping. And we've talked about it on the show before, but give me an idea of what your job is when you're pimped. Do you know what pimping stands for? I've heard it stands for put in my place. Uh, But I think it's more charitably a way of Socratic learning, i.e. answering questions in order to learn something or be taught something yeah i think pimping is the clever name but luckily i think here mostly it's not done with that purpose of putting you in your place and making you feel bad usually it's to help encourage you to learn and test where you are and advance things (laughs) i think of it as kind of almost like a tool where you could learn to impress them I've been definitely (laughs) asked a lot of questions that I do not know the answer to, and I try my best to answer them. If I don't know the answer, going back, actually looking it up and telling them, like, hey, I actually looked this up. Here's the answer. Mm -hmm. That, like, goes a bajillion miles because then they're like, oh, cool. They actually care about their education. They actually paid attention to it, and they came back to me with the answer. So that can go a really long way. I remember there was one, like, surgery I was in in particular, and it was, like, the layers of the abdominal wall, and he was like, what's this? What's this? And I, like had no idea because I was like awkwardly placed into that room after another surgery got canceled so I was like I didn't get the chance to read up on this patient so I was just kind of trying to like follow along I got like I think 10 questions down wrong in a row and then I went back I actually like drew it out and like 
emailed him and I was like, here are the answers. I'm so sorry. I wasn't like prepared. There was like a switch up and he was like so impressed with it that I actually like came back and emailed him about it. So could be an opportunity to really prove yourself as a medical student. In the moment, you definitely feel super dumb and everyone around you kind of feels like, oh, shoot, they don't know this answer, but you get through it. Yeah. And I think also it can really stick with an attending. So I had an attending in surgery as well, where, you know, I was asking for an evaluation and I got like some anatomy questions wrong, but I also like got the vast majority of the anatomy questions, right? <laughs> and, you know, it ended up on my eval, you know, oh, anatomy was a little shaky. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> it was actually like not that bad. I, I mean, yeah, there were a few that were like kind of bad, but like, I thought for the most part, uh, you know, I was there. But, uh, you know, so I, sometimes those those questions can really stick with an attending. It might even be better occasionally to say that you don't know rather than just like say the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah, you can. the only thing is I'm not sure you can make a, a habit of that. <laughs> Yes, you know, the, I think like in my situation, I was getting most of them correct. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, like, I think I think if in the situation where you're like, I don't know, yeah, uh, yeah, like that's cool, and you should, if you truly don't know the answer to a question, like then you should probably should say I don't know. But then you do what Joyce did, which is go back, find out the answer, and report back either in rounds or in some other format what the answer to the question was, and that's actually as. Joyce said somewhat impressive because it meant that you recognized the problem that you have and you fixed it. Absolutely. And I saw that same procedure like four more times. So I ended up definitely learning all that anatomy. <laughs> Sometimes it's helpful to like narrate your thought process if you don't yeah. know because they want to know like, how, do you know anything? You know, like, are you even going to try? <laughs> so sometimes if they would ask me like, what's this in surgery? And I didn't know what it was. Sometimes I'd be like, well, that's the omentum which connects to here and this looks like this blood vessel. So I think that makes it blah. And even if I'm wrong, they at least like I've proven that I know something and I'm thinking about it mm. and things like that. Mm. So that can be very helpful too. Mm. Yeah. Makes sense. I actually really like people asking me questions, even if like I'm wrong and there's an audience and everybody sees how wrong I am, I think I prefer that to like not being acknowledged at all because it shows that they like at least know I'm there and like want to teach or willing to teach rather than, yeah, just being forgotten about which didn't happen that much, but yeah. And it happens at all levels too. So it's not just, you know, med students. I was in a, like a meeting that included fellows, uh, residents, like senior resident, intern med student and the attending just went around and pimped us all and uh gave us all questions to our level but often if you know say the intern got the question wrong then turn to the med student and uh, <laughs> you know can the med student show up the the intern and then it, you know go back up if the the med student got it wrong. So this it, is the this is the origin of the comment that I sometimes read, which is often new questions that the intern didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, uh. I personally wouldn't suggest answering a question that was offered to somebody else above you unless you're specifically asked the same question because you don't want to make your intern or your resident look bad. That's a good bit of political advice there, yeah. Yeah, definitely agreed with that point. I think also something that was interesting to me is that when they're like an attending and they've, they've been an attending for a while, sometimes they forget exactly what level the medical student is at slash what information should they know. Because I remember very clearly there was like one surgeon, we're in the middle of a laparoscopic abdominal case and they're like, what's that? And I like couldn't tell because the laparoscopic camera was like all turned around and I was like, 
I have no idea. And so we like talked about it. She's like, oh, like you're in an abdominal surgery case. Like you should know. Here's a hint. It's the white line. And I was like, I don't know what this white line is, lady. <laughs> and like, she's like, oh, I bet knows who's like the other medical student. And he, she turns to him and he's like, I have no idea. And so she's like, you guys are both medical students. You should know this. It was literally our first rotation ever. And then I tried to look it up, couldn't find it, ended up asking the resident. She's, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's the white line of Tolt. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And so now whenever that resident saw me in the hospital for the next year, he would just yell at me. He's like, what's the white line? And I was like, the white line of Tolt. I'm sorry. You're and then it's so funny because, like, two days later, I was in surgery with that same attending. And then she was like, what's that? And I was like, the large intestine. And she was like, great job. Amazing. Good job, medical students. How are those two things equivalent? Like, I don't understand, but I mean, I'll take the compliment. So I just ran with it. (laughs) I could have got that that second one, right? Yeah. Yeah, you would have made me so proud. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Good. I, have we? Is there anything else that we need to talk about in this in this topic? Any any other job that I might have uh, missed? No. I think my biggest tip for rotations in general is just common sense. Reading the room. I think that goes such a long way. Because as a medical student, you want to learn, you want to be involved, but also just knowing kind of the right time and place to ask for anything. So like. If someone's like critically dying, don't be like, hey, what's that thing in the corner do? Like kind of (laughs) step back, observe, see if there's little things that you can help with, because that really goes a long way, too. But also you don't want to be in the corner doing absolutely nothing at all times and never saying a word, because then then again, you're not learning. And then also you can't really prove your skills. So there's definitely a happy medium where you say, "Okay, it's kind of chill right now. Maybe I can ask a question or see how I can get involved. I think arguably one of the jobs, one of the most important jobs as the med student is to talk because the problem that, you know, the the central problem that your evaluators have is knowing what you know. And the only way that they're going to know what you know is if you talk um, about what you know when given the opportunity. If you're a quiet person, none of us in this uh, metaphorical room are quiet people. So we probably don't have this problem. But there are some medical students who are very quiet. And, uh, you know, that comes out in evaluations because you read, you know, so-and-so is very quiet, so it was hard for me to know what they knew. Especially so, uh, I think quiet can sometimes be interpreted as, like, disinterest or not knowing or not being engaged, which is just unfortunate because, not a, you know, some people are quiet, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't want to be there or yeah, quiet learning or they don't care. Yeah, quiet isn't a personality defect. It's just mm-hmm. a thing. In, in this particular situation, it's kind of a problem because, you know, you can't broadcast your, your genius if you're if you're not opening your yap once in a while. Yeah. On the flip side, you can also be annoying if you talk too much. Yeah, you definitely yeah. get dinged for that. Yeah, I've I've witnessed that. And I think asking questions, like not just talking, but specifically asking questions, because that that's going to help you learn. And then it's going to open up, you know, some of that dialogue where then you, they, you, they're also trying to get more out of you to better understand what you know. But if you ask a good question that, is kind of a smart question that can show a lot about what you know as well like it shows that you have at least this level of understanding and you're trying to expand that yeah because you're engaged yeah i have one other thing to throw in about clerkships if you ever feel like as a medical student you're asked to do something that you don't know if it's like appropriate for you to do as a medical student or you don't feel comfortable or prepared enough you're always allowed to say that like obviously don't say no i'm not going to do that but expressing your concern and like why you're concerned is not like 
like you're allowed to or if you feel like somebody has treated you wrong or said you know inappropriate comments i would always like find somebody to bring that up to and don't like just let it pass good advice yeah you can always you can always say something like well i don't know how to do that can you show me can you show me right actually somebody mentioned an example about calling consults on my internal medicine rotation the intern asked me to call the cardiology consult and i was like very unsure how to do this like we had just come back from covid i wasn't really confident in my clinical skills again yet and so i was like okay so this is what i'm gonna say like practicing to him and he was like oh i'll do this one and you listen to me (laughs) (laughs) i was like okay great (laughs) so i i had a background working in call centers so like making phone calls to find out information about things you know even like outside hospitals or i had one incident on uh, the stroke team where I had to call a patient's employer because the incident happened there and and talk to the people to get like the idea of what happened what was the surrounding like events that led to the patient's current presentation and, and it's really just like taking a history like you would any other time but that was huge for the team the team was like super happy that i was able to make this phone call and i could take all the time i needed because i wasn't doing anything else but following the team around and it got like vital information that really helped the patient yeah i do hear about pay, about medical students calling other hospitals also to get like records and things like that that's a kind of a it falls under those one of those really helpful jobs that you know maybe nobody else was going to be able to do at that moment mm-hmm. i think that my last thought is that part of the reason that core year i think in particular is so hard is because med students kind of straddle this weird line where they're expected to be involved on the team but they're not responsible yet you know like a resident is still going to be with your patient and doing everything and you're often not in the loop like when a consult gets called when orders needs to be changed when someone gets paged about your patient you know it's going to go to the resident not you and so sometimes that can feel very you know frustrating and defeating because you're not in the loop and it's kind of your patient but kind of not and my best advice is you know focus on what you can do to be really helpful which you know sometimes is like taking the time to call family members and things that other people don't have time to do or sometimes it's going back and getting a more thorough history from the patient when people don't have time or getting blankets and water or sometimes it's you know doing something more cookie cutter like closing the incision you know like there's lots of ways to be involved and so that's why like my advice is fill in the gaps on your team you have the most time usually as a med student and so you can help do a lot of those vital tasks that you need to learn how to do to in order to learn how to do more and bridge to be a resident (laughs) good advice Speaking of knowing things, before we go, I want to send my congratulations out to Dr. Mehmet Oz on his guest host spot on Jeopardy. You know, when I reached out for comment from executive producer Mike Richards, he said this was part of an effort to simplify the show for the modern audience, which he thought would work out really well since all the answers would be the ACI Barry. Ha! It's my little Dr. Oz joke that I wrote down. <laughs> Thank you for making me have to laugh at my own joke. Appreciate it. (laughs) Anytime. Well, that's our show. Emma, Nick, Holly, Joyce, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, happy to be here. And what kind of medical waste would I be if I didn't thank you, Shortcoats, for making us part of your week? If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show uh, wherever fine podcasts are available. And, uh, you know, just give us give us your ear holes. That'd be swell. Our editors are AJ Chowdhury and Eric Bozart. Alex Belzer is our marketing coordinator. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. Talk to you 
in one week. 